And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, basking in glory with Bilbao bagging surprise Super Cup success over Barcelona. Also, Serie A with derbies galore, Milan, Whelan and Dillon, and Napoli, the elating Fiorentina. Liga, a good week for plucky PSG, and Bundesliga, with Bayern extending their lead and a top four contender you weren't expecting, unless you're much, much cleverer than us. It's the Totally Football Show, in association with Paddy Power. Lovely sounds there of one of the stories of the weekend and perhaps the season. As here, Villa Libre playing his trumpet, getting his horn uh, at the end of uh, the phenomenal Super Cup success of Athletic Club de Bilbao over Barcelona. Woo! We're joined by celebrity Athletic Club fan Alvaro Romeo. Hi, Alvaro. Hello, hello, hello. Villalibre, what a, what a man, what a musician, what a footballer. Excellent. Wait. New Athletic de Bilbao legend. Indeed, indeed. Also with us today, James Horncastle. Hello, James. He's celebrating as well, listener. It's literally his birthday. Woohoo! Yay! Right. That's Julien Laurence and so far silent, but biding his time to lay something really big on us, Raphael Honigstein. I did make a very excited noise, but uh, oh, yeah? maybe it got lost in the... In the jewels, exclamation. Well, plenty of room for more excited noises as we chronicle the events of this weekend around the continent. Let's start off with a quick round of Moments of the Weekend by Paddy Power. Rafa, you go first. Well, Moment of the Week, James, Luka Jovic, back from Real Madrid, on loan. He's on the pitch for a few minutes, four touches. The fourth one is already a goal. Wonderful volley. He scored a second one to make it two. That's as many as he scored in 18 months in Madrid. Wow. Jules, what about you? It has to be Marseille losing at home against Nîmes, bottom <laughs> of the table, who could hardly beat your pub team. And yet they go to the Velodrome, they win. On the back of that, there was a big protest from the fans against the uh, the president before the game. After the game, the president coming to uh, to the dressing room and the training ground and roasting the players. And then looking at the stats of Dimitri Payet as well, who in the 60 minutes that he spent on the pitch in that game made five sprints. Five sprints. So I would just leave you with, with that thought. James, what about in City A? Pick something. Well, you've got to pick one of the two derbies, uh, I suppose. The Rome derby on Friday night, the Debbie d'Italia on Sunday. I think the Debbie d'Italia was more momentous in that it feels like, even though we're not halfway through the season yet, there's still a long way to go, that Juventus' era as the preeminent force in Italian football over the last nine years is coming to a close because Inter beat them 2-0. They were very convincing as well. And Nicola Barella once again confirming that he is the best Italian midfield player out there. Ha! James Horncastle has spoken. Very good. Alvaro Romeo, you finish off. 
It has to be Athletic Club Bilbao winning their second title in 37 years after beating Barcelona in the Super Cup final with a goal of Iñaki Williams in the extra time. A beautiful goal to round up an excellent week for Athletic de Bilbao because not only they beat Barcelona, but they also eliminated Real Madrid in the semifinals. That's quite a story and I think that's where we have to start today's Totally Football Show European Edition. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg, online exclusive, no shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus begambleaware.org. All right, so Alvaro, a little bit of background, Spanish Super Cup. Which they take seriously in Spain, do they? Yes, I think so. And okay. especially the winner takes it very seriously. Right, and the winner right. takes a lot of credit from it. And uh, yeah, this new format, which is really brand new because it started last year, is mm-hmm. proving to be quite nice. And uh, I think that it also, since it is framed in the middle of January, it uh, creates turning points of the season for whoever plays it. Uh, last season, Real Madrid took plenty of positives from it and win the the league title, and right. this year I think that uh, this is quite a blow for Barcelona, losing a final, and uh, this can be also a really good uh, starting point for Athletic Club Bilbao, with a new manager, a new title, and uh, having beaten Real Madrid and Barcelona in the last 72 hours. Right, so it's almost like winning a League Cup would be for a Premier League side. Well, Spanish Super Cup, now a four-team affair, so what, top two from the league and the two cup finalists. So it was Barcelona and Real Madrid and two Basque sides, Real Sociedad and Athletic Club, that were in the mix. And Barcelona and Real, of course, had to be kept separate in the semi-finals. So on Thursday, Barcelona got past Real Sociedad, but only on penalties, while Athletic Club de Bilbao beat Real Madrid 2-1 to set up Sunday's clash with the Catalans. How optimistic were you of Athletic's chances going into this game, Alvaro? Moderately. Um, You know, Barcelona has beaten Athletic Club Bilbao in many finals since 2009. Uh, One single uh, game finals as well. So this time this Barcelona is not as convincing as it was in 2009, let alone 2012 or 2015. So I think that Athletic Club Bilbao had a chance, but I was very surprised about the positive way they played. I mean, uh, Athletic Club Bilbao recently, uh, under the previous manager, they were solid, but they played some what you would brand as negative football. And this time they, they went for it and the pressure they did on, Bar- on Barcelona in the first half was quite good. Despite that, Barcelona managed to score a goal thanks to Antoine Griezmann. He was Lionel Messi, more or less, who created that with a good play with Jordi Alba. Right before the halftime, Oscar De Marcos uh, drew the game for Athletic Club Bilbao. Then Antoine Griezmann in the second half, he scored the second goal for Barcelona again. After scoring the second goal, Barcelona didn't have the hunger to go for the third. In fact, they... They were asking pretty much or they were begging for the game to be over because they, they didn't have any steam or any anything left in their legs. Athletic Club Bilbao scored the equalizer pretty much uh, nearing the 90th minute. And from that point onwards, you could see that Athletic Club believed and Barcelona didn't. Uh, I think that it was quite illustrative, the pre-extra time talk that Athletic Club Bilbao had with the manager and the players all together. And Barcelona didn't seem as, uh, as convincing... Uh, it looked like there was not such a spirit in Barcelona players uh, in the chat they had with Ronald Koeman. And that translates to the extra time. I think that Athletic Club uh, came stronger uh, after the 90th minute. Iñaki Williams, a player who normally is regarded as a very good attacking weapon, but not the most accurate when it comes to the finishing. He scored a super goal, beautiful, fantastic goal. Ter Stegen could do anything. He put the ball basically in the top right corner uh, from a very acute angle, and he scored that goal that uh, gave Athletic Bilbao the victory. No, no están fuera de juego. Dentro del área le puede pegar Williams. Barcelona not only lost the game, but uh, they lost Lionel Messi for the next games because in the 117th minute, I think, um, he basically uh, had a little brawl with Asier Villalibre when he was trying to run into the box and uh, he put Villalibre on the floor. Now it's down to the Spanish FA to decide whether that was just violent, violent conduct um, or it was an assault on Villalibre. If it is the latter, Lionel Messi will miss the next four games. If it wow. is only regarded as violent conduct, he will miss two games. Wow. The first red card he's ever picked up for Barcelona. 
And surely, Alvaro, the fact that he never had another red card could mean that they'd be nicer, kind of nicer to him in the, in the sanction or you don't think that would change anything? And he was hardly Conor McGregor, really. I don't even think he makes proper contact when he tries to punch Villalibre. Yeah, I, I think that he, luckily for him, I think that this is going to be regarded as violent conduct and not an assault or an aggression, uh, which is, the nuance is very important because if you, if you assault an opponent, you can face up to four games. And I think that maybe the past Lionel Messi has had in La Liga, his, uh, let's say his record is pretty much impeccable, could help a little bit because uh, there hasn't been a repetition of uh, bad conduct, obviously. But I think that this time, irrespective of his past, he was going to get probably two games. So, yeah, this is going to be the punishment for Messi. So he's going to miss the next game against Cornella in the Spanish Cup, which probably he would have rested anyway. And then the next league game. So, yeah, I mean, all things considered, I think that two games is kind of fair. But we have to say as well that Athletic Club Bilbao, and this is my club, but they have to admit it, in the last 20 minutes of the game, they took advantage of uh, just grabbing the the opponent's t-shirts all the time. And uh, there is obviously here like some sort of uh, help that the football rule mm, gives you because uh, that is never uh, punished with a red card, but with a yellow. And uh, many Athletic Club Bilbao players were basically uh, stopping Frankie de Jong or Lionel Messi from running, from dribbling past. And that uh, obviously influenced Barcelona badly to the point that Lionel Messi at some point got very frustrated. Interesting. Let's talk a little bit about the fellow who's, who was caught by Messi's flailing arms, Asia Villalibre, the, the, the gentleman who, of course, had equalised to take it into extra time and who then capped off the night, rounded off the celebrations by bringing out his, his trumpet for the celebrations. He's, he's got quite a musical background, Villalibre. Yes, he does. He does. Uh, well, you should, say, you should know that you know, this squad of Athletic Bilbao um, has a few guys who are interested in more things than only football. For example, um, six members of the squad, they started a music band about a couple of years ago called Orsai, which is uh, the way that uh, we say it offside in Spain in the past when people didn't speak English in the country. Uh, so the band is called like this, Orsai. And uh, I don't know if they are rehearsing now, because obviously the COVID restrictions probably don't let them gather indoors. But uh, Dani Garcia, Villalibre, the trumpet player and the singer as well, the lead singer, Valenciaga, De Marcos, Vesga, Leque, um, they all admitted that after they retire, they would like to, to give it a go to music and uh, try to, to be on the road, uh, just uh, traveling around, uh, playing music. And uh, let's see how far they take this, but it seems that they are taking it for seriously. And... Uh, yeah, Villalibre is, uh, is an excellent footballer. I mean, he comes from the academy. He went on loan. That didn't succeed for him. But uh, in the youth ranks, he, he basically hit great numbers. And I think that little by little this season, he's becoming one of the important players, which is fundamental for Athletic Club Bilbao because last season, midway through, Aduriz said that he retired at the age of 39 because his hip was basically not letting him even uh, walk a little bit without feeling any pain. So it's very important, important for Athletic Club that uh, they have managed to bring someone up from the academy to the first team. And this guy is making it. He's a good player. And uh, I do believe that he's going to be Athletic Bilbao's number nine for the next years to come. Wow. He's a local lad, I imagine. Is he via Libre? Yes, and well, you have to have to listen to him speaking in Spanish. He, it's very funny because I think that he probably has learned Basque before Spanish language. So he speaks Spanish with a really, really, really strong Basque accent. And uh, well, he reminds me a little bit of some part of my family that uh, suffer from that or they are benefited from that. The fact that they learned Basque before Spanish. So he sounds very cute in Spanish, yes. Right. Are athletic club still rigorously only Basque players then? Yes, but... Uh, if, for example, a player like Ganea, who was a uh, Romanian-born, uh, who was in the squad uh, last year, or Kodro, mm, who is the sound of Mejo Kodro, a Bosnian, former Bosnian striker, if uh, those players have played for Athletic de Bilbao lately, also Aymeric Laporte, who was born in France, and definitely not in the Basque country we consider the Basque-French area, but if those players, they spent few years in the academy, or if they spend few years playing in the Basque system uh, when they are young, they can, they can be capped for Athletic Club Bilbao. So, for example, let me give you a very quick example. Uh, my son, for example, Ander, uh, was born in London, 
and I don't think that at the minute he could play for Athletic Club Bilbao. But if he plays for Athletic Club Bilbao in the academy or if he plays for any Basque team in the youth system uh, anytime soon, then he will be eligible. And uh, a couple of years ago, there was a case of uh, a German girl. Uh, her parents uh, were Basque and uh, basically she spent all her summers in her youth in the Basque country, uh, but she never played for any Basque team in the youth system. So Athletic Club Bilbao tried to sign her and the former president and the board basically stopped that signing from happening because um, she basically, despite her parents being Basque, uh, she didn't uh, meet a couple of requirements that seem to be mandatory. But at the same time, I think that if the club does very well or very bad in the future, maybe, you know, they kind of squeeze the philosophy differently mm. in order to get the best out of it. So who mm. knows? Who knows? As it stands, anyway, even with being a local club for local people, uh, they are the team with the third most trophies in all of Spanish football behind Barcelona and Real Madrid. A long way behind, to be fair, the big two. But Barcelona have 95 and Real Madrid 94. And Athletic with this are now on title or trophy number 35 of their history. But they could, they could make that 36 or even 37 this very season, couldn't they, Alvaro? Yes, I mean, uh, they just have to beat Real Sociedad in the cup final in April, uh, which um, a final that uh, should have been played last year. But uh, the club and the players and Real Sociedad and Athletic Club um, send a request to the Spanish FA asking them to play the final only if fans will be allowed in. Well, I think that this season the, the situation is completely different. You cannot postpone that final much more. And if it has to be played behind closed doors, so it will. Um, but... I think that uh, what you are saying about the, the titles that Athletic Bilbao has won and all that shouldn't make us forget that uh, this club has been still competitive even after the Bosman ruling, uh, which is something that uh, at the time, circa 1995, I remember that uh, there was this uh, prediction by some saying that uh, maybe with the Bosman ruling, Athletic uh, Club Bilbao's uh, philosophy couldn't stand. And uh, since then, it's true that Athletic hasn't won many trophies, only two Super Cups, yes. But at the same time, do you know how many big clubs have been relegated since 1995? All of them, basically. Uh, all of them but Valencia, Barcelona and Real Madrid. But Sevilla, Atletico, Betis, Zaragoza, Real Sociedad, all those clubs they have been relegated in the last 25 years. So there is something that Athletic Bilbao has been doing really well lately. That has to be said as well. And in the last decade, they qualified for the Champions League once, multiple times for the Europa League. They played few finals. So this is a good time for Athletic Club Bilbao. And I believe that uh, they understood that the key to success is probably signing the best possible manager. They did it with Jupp Heynckes uh, in the past. They did it with Marcelo Bielsa, uh, with Ernesto Valverde. And I think that Marcelino is one of those top managers that Atlético de Bilbao can benefit from. Because if you cannot sign the best players, at least go for the best managers. Fair enough. He's certainly off to a brilliant start. We'll hear more uh, from Spain later on, including uh, Barcelona's prospects against the team that knocked out Atletico Madrid in the previous round in the Copa del Rey this Thursday. A little bit later on, because up next, we're heading off to Italy. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. James, big results this weekend in Italy. Lazio's huge win in the derby. Napoli's even huger win over Fiorentina and Sunday night San Siro Inter doing Juve 2-0. Where do you want to start? I think it's got to be the Debbie d'Italia because that has uh, the greatest uh, repercussions. Um, you know, Antonio Conte, who was uh, brought in by Inter to essentially take down uh, the Juventus side that he built. Um, yeah, he captained as a player and then coached um, to the beginnings of this sort of dominant cycle uh, that they've been on over the last nine years. Lost both of these games uh, last year, and I think deservedly so. 
Um, but this time around, I think that there can be no no doubt who was the better team, who was the better coach. Um, it was it was Conte's Inter, uh, Arturo Vidal coming back to haunt his uh, old team as well. Uh, I thought it was quite funny uh, watching sort of Vidal's hijinks before and after the game. He sort of in the warm-ups was going over to cuddle Giorgio Chiellini and seemed to be kissing the Juventus badge, which he had to later then come out and basically say, no, I wasn't doing that. Um, and then at the end of the game, he he went over to Andrea Pirlo, who I think just wanted to walk down the tunnel undisturbed. And Vidal was sort of trying to have a laugh with him. And he was like, this has probably been one of the most damaging nights of my short uh, coaching career. Um, as as Pirlo, the pupil, uh, was kind of completely schooled by his uh, his master Conte. Is that what it was then? Do you think it, it, it was a it was a victory for Conte's tactics rather than say Barella running midfield or, or or any of those other things? I think it was a combination of the two. I think um, you know Conte said afterwards that they uh, they'd been working on a few things in training which uh, they thought were kind of weaknesses in the Juventus setup, and he was he was pleased to see his um, his players put what they. Had done in practice on the training ground into 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 a live action game, you know. I think if if you look at, for example, the second goal, you can praise Bastoni's pass. Um, you can criticise um, Juventus's defensive setup, um, but I think that's something that 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 Conte had seen in the in the video analysis that they've been doing. That if you can kind of uh, escape the press with some clever movement, um, then all it takes is one pass to get through this Juventus team, and we've seen it time and again. Um, against Fiorentina, against Udinese, against Roma earlier in the season when Pirlo and, and Juventus were lucky to come away with a point, having been down to 10 men for half an hour. But yeah, that right-hand side of Inter's uh, caused all kinds of problems um, for, for Juventus, either with you know, sort of Skriniar accompanying Barella and Hakimi um, up against Frabotta and, and Aaron Ramsey. Uh, it was a really torrid time uh, for them. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right to name check Barella, James, because um, his he was the one cropping up on the right with those those crosses for Vidal. I thought his mentality, his attitude throughout. You saw how frustrated he's what he was when Lukaku and Lautaro didn't take other chances that he had a had a hand in setting up. Just the kind of player you want uh, by your side on a, on a big occasion like that, and someone I think in the last eighteen months, a little bit like uh, Lukaku, at least in other games. Someone who's really emerged as a leader in this team uh, under Conte. So, yeah, temporarily they went top. Obviously, Milan played Cagliari on, on on Monday night. Another decimated Milan side without uh, Chalinolu, Teo Hernandez, who I think tested positive for COVID. So, it looks more and more like uh, the Scudetto will be moving away from Turin uh, and back to Milan for the first time in in uh, well, close to a decade. Milan still to play and with uh, one or two important moves coming up uh, in the next few days in terms of transfers, James. Yeah, um, they've been the busiest of, uh, of all teams, I think, um, certainly at the top uh, in Serie A. Uh, some of the teams that are fighting relegation are, are just as active, but Milan have done the most business early. Uh, they brought in Mete from, from Torino, at least on loan. Um, to to bolster the midfield, which has has missed Benacer, I think, um, in recent weeks. Um, Tenali has struggled for the most part; hasn't been able to to really adapt to playing in a in a two uh, next to Kessie. They've signed uh, Mario Mandzukic, who touched down on on Sunday. Uh, Mandzukic, who uh, kind of makes Milan's front line when everyone's fit. Um, just a front line of hard men, um, of Zlatan and, and, and Mario. I, I wouldn't really want to go up against either of them, although I don't think we'll be seeing them playing together. I think uh, it'll be one or the other um, up front for them. Uh, and then it looks like Fikayo Tomori, uh, centre-back from Chelsea, will arrive this week. Uh, I was told by Milan last night that uh, they were pretty confident of landing him. But I think what's kind of quite interesting is... Um, the three of them, I mean, aside from maybe Tomori, uh, two of them are older guys. Um, I mean, okay, Mete's sort of uh, 26, 27. Mandzukic is in his 30s. It's kind of a little bit gone away from what they were doing um, in the transfer market um, over the last uh, last year or so. Uh, for the most part, they've they've gone young, apart from Ibrahimovic and Kier. 
I think they missed out on some of the targets that they really wanted in in January. Um, but they've they filled these spots on the on the roster all the same, which you know should should allow them to sustain what they've already done um, so far this season and, and and keep this title challenge going all the way to May. The two Milanese sides occupying the top two spots for the moment. In third place now, meanwhile, are Napoli after their 6-0 victory at the weekend over Fiorentina. Whose assist was better, do you think, uh, Insigne at the weekend? <laughs> Bastoni or Insigne? Bastoni with that, what, 70-yard ball to set up Barella for Inter's second or Insigne for Napoli's third? Well, I suppose one way of looking at it is... Uh, that you wouldn't expect a centre-back to play that kind of scything pass, the one that uh, Bastoni uh, played to put uh, Barella through. In senior, this was this was magnificent. Um, you know, it was also highlighted by Cesare Prandelli as, as the reason why his team lost, um, because there are five Fiorentina players around Insigne uh, when he sort of takes them on, then he, uh, he turns around, goes back again, and then takes them on again and then plays this wonderful pass to the far post for, for Chucky Lozano. I think in terms of artistry, it's probably got to be Insigne's. No, I, I think uh, that was just... Uh, uh, a more prolonged individual effort um, than than Bastoni's, but um, yeah, really interesting game this one between Napoli and Fiorentina because um, David Ospina made a, a good save from Ribéry in the first half. Uh, Fiorentina hit the uh, hit the bar. Koulibaly uh, made a goal line clearance um, as well, and uh, you know if you kind of look at the the goals that Napoli scored, they're all special goals for the most part. Um, now, you know, I think Napoli thoroughly deserve the win, but, um, you know, if you look at kind of XG, uh, it's quite strange because Fiorentino and Napoli are more or less the same in terms of the quality of chances that they created. Um, but, yeah, real setback for Fiorentina as well after, you know, going into going into Christmas with that big win over Juventus um, in Turin. Um, they kind of haven't been able to kick on um, since then. Whereas Napoli, second time they've scored six goals this season. I think this was more impressive than the last time when they, they whooped a Genoa side that was completely decimated by probably the worst COVID outbreak um, that we've seen um, in, in Serie A so far this season. And uh, they've got the small matter of the Super Cup uh, coming up on Wednesday in Reggio Emilia against Juventus. And I think their confidence will be uh, ever so slightly higher than that of the, uh, the Bianconeri. Mm, huge game, that. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten that was on, actually, the Super Cup. So that's taking place in Reggio Emilia. Yes. It's, it was supposed to take place in Saudi Arabia because of the, uh, the agreement that they struck, which I think was between three and five years of, of playing it there. And then I think the Saudis came back to them and said, well, no one can come uh, to this. Uh, I don't think they can uh, have enough spectators in the stadium to make it worthwhile either. So... Instead, um, the uh, Serie A is having to stage it themselves at the Mape Stadium, which uh, used to be the kind of place where they would play the Trofeo Berlusconi or something like that. So, An equally they, uh... important uh, competition. Excellent. Well, that, that'll be uh, uh, later. We'll hear uh, shortly as well about last Friday's huge game in Rome, the, uh, the derby between Lazio and Roma. And next up, though, let's hitch our wagons and head over to the Bundesliga. RB Leipzig gift shop? Yeah, uh, I want to return a player. Uh, he's not working. He was supposed to help me achieve my goals, but I don't think he even knows what a goal is. Ah, yeah. Well, uh, all I can say is that he was just fine working when he was to London dispatched. Oh. Lampard and Chelsea can't seem to get their money back, but you can with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker. If one leg of your four-plus-fold Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10. Min odds 1-5 to five on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18plusbegambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Rafa, one of the delights of the Bundesliga is the extraordinary nomenclature that you have. The, what is it, Tor Kanonmeister? Tor Jäger Kanon? No, Jäger. What do you call the top scorer? The Jägermeister. 
Jägermeister. <laughs> Jägermeister. <laughs> and what do you call, um, what do you, and you got a name for somebody who's halfway through the season on top? That's the Hinrundenmeister. Okay, what's Not that to mean? be confused with the uh, Herbstmeister okay. or indeed the Weihnachtsmeister. What are those then? <laughs> <laughs> we have a word for any constellation possible. And this All year, right. of course, is very different because the the league doesn't work in line with the calendar. Uh, we're still in the first half of the season, even though it's January. Right. Uh, usually you finish before Christmas and then you are the Autumnmeister. Um, or the in Bayern's case... Yeah, the Herbstmeister, exactly. Or in, in Bayern's case, it was the Christmas champion this year. And now they What's have the been Christmas crowned champion? Weihnachtsmeister. And okay. now they have been crowned Hinrundenmeister prematurely because there's still a game to go, but they cannot be caught um, having taken a four-point lead ahead of Leipzig at the weekend. The Hinrundenmeister, Hinrund being the first half of the season. Yeah, more or less, yes. More or less what you said. <laughs> Not really, not really, because you're no. Meister. <laughs> right, okay. Interesting. And the Jägermeister? Jägermeister, that's the master of, of, of Jaguars? No, Jäger is a huntsman. Hunters, right. <laughs> Hence it has the deer, the stag on the, uh, on, on the bottle, no? Of course. Yeah. Anyway. It's a giveaway. Isn't there a maester in the Game of Thrones as well? Isn't there a maester? Yeah. No? Yeah. 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 The grand, the grand Maester. <laughs> okay, so now, anyway, Bayern Munich, as you say, four points clear on the top now, which means they're going to be Hinrun Maester and all those other things as well. And they <laughs> they opened up that lead with a 2-1 victory this weekend over Freiburg in the snow, Rafa, in the, in the snow there in Bavaria. Uh, goals from Thomas Muller and from Robert Lewandowski, who has now got 21 goals from 16 matches. That's a lot. That is a lot. And every year we talk about the possibility of him catching Gerd Muller, whose 40-goal record has never been equaled or indeed surpassed from 71-72. But I think he might be able to do it. Um, he's halfway there with 21 after only 16. And Bayern aren't even playing that well. Um, they scored nice goals, they created chances, but then at the end they were shaky and they were very lucky because Peterson, the goal scorer for Freiburg's first, very nearly got a uh, second, hitting the bar uh, in the 90th minute. So, yeah, still not everything okay in Munich, but of course the kind of reaction, at least results-wise, that was absolutely necessary after their embarrassing cup defeat in midweek when they were knocked right. out by the second division Holstein Kiel on penalties which was of course their second defeat in a row in all competitions and means they won't be retaining the treble uh, their league chances though boosted by the fact that the other teams around them in the top four all drop points Leipzig missed the chance to go top of the table for the second Saturday in a row uh, getting held to a 2-2 draw away at Wolfsburg Dortmund got held by bottom side Mainz Mainz, in fact, scoring the goal of the, the weekend. And Bayer Leverkusen lost to Union Berlin 1-0, which means that Union Berlin are now fifth. Rafa, did you see this coming? I don't think anyone did. I mean, Union Berlin staying in the league was a fairy tale of last season. This year, they, they look as if they're going one better or maybe two better. I mean, if they were to get into the Champions League, it'll be, it'll be crazy. If they get into Europa League, it won't, it'll be just as... As sensational, even a mid-table finish, you know, is in itself a huge result for them. And there's no reason that they can't keep this up because these games have not been, you know, freak results going against the grain, being outperformed, but somehow finding ways to win. They actually tend to be the better teams or at least equal in all of them. And to beat Leverkusen, uh, a genuine Champions League contender, was, was another amazing result for Urs Fischer's side. So, but yes, the wider theme of the weekend was very much um, the question being answered, who is the new team that might actually take over from Bayern or might endanger Bayern's position? And the only answer is Bayern themselves because everyone else has been falling by the wayside and it felt like a pretty momentous and important game especially in Dortmund where they had a penalty shortly after scoring the equaliser Marco Royce missed the goal altogether with his attempt 
and the team that we all raved about last week when they beat Leipzig so convincingly and now once again seven points adrift of Bayern and it's probably going to be too much for them. Mm. Before we move on, Rafa, let's get a quick check on Christian Gross and his Schalke. Uh, how did it go for them this time around? It didn't go that well. They were really outplayed by Frankfurt. Um, there was a time when Mafia Hoppe scored again, his fourth goal in two games. Four shots as well, no? Yeah, it was only 2-1 uh, to Schalke at that point. But really, Frankfurt never looked like dropping those points. They were far superior. And in Luka Jovic, they had a striker who had an immediate impact. You know, they, they often say that the players love to score against their former clubs. This was one of those occasions. Uh, luckily for Eintracht, he was wearing their shirt as, as he did it. So that was a, a real nice way to come back. And immediately he looks much more like the confident, calm and very dangerous player that Frankfurt sold rather than the one that uh, Real Madrid got. Mm. So he kind of like, kind of, were Timo Werner to return to Leipzig, do you think he'd suddenly kind of flourish again like a flower put back in water? I mean, maybe. Maybe there is something about strikers who tend to be more affected by a lack of confidence, a lack of game time, a lack of perhaps, you know, fitting into the team around them. Um, I think it's more difficult if you have a few touches like these guys than to, to be in the game when things don't go for you, you're not one of those midfielders who will always, you know, be involved or, or a centre-back that will always have an opportunity to go up um, against the strikers and, and, you know, keep clean sheets and stuff. I think as a striker, you're a bit more exposed in that result, in that respect. And um, a lot of the Frankfurt officials and teammates making the point that he just seems to be happier, happier playing for Frankfurt. It'll be interesting to see what happens at the end of the season. I don't think Frankfurt have an option to bring him back. I think the wages make it almost prohibitive to bring him back. Real Madrid are paying a significant part of it, but only until the summer. And then we'll have to see if he can turn it around and be given a second chance in Madrid. Right. Ryan Clayton asking that question, how likely uh, a full-time return to Germany for Luka Jovic might be or whether Real will try and make it work for him. Alvaro, they've got some big questions to uh, resolve, haven't they, Real Madrid? Uh, I noticed that um, a uh, poll among fans in Madrid this week had uh, them eager to clear out uh, Eden Hazard. And, of course, there's Gareth Bale returning at the end of the season unless Spurs decide that they'd like to keep him around. Which I guess it is unlikely. Also, we have to say that Eden Hazard against Athletic Club Bilbao, uh, he he was a very peripheral figure, and not only because uh, he was staying in the wing, but also because he didn't have any impact on the game. And uh, yeah, I mean, you have to wonder why um, so many players don't succeed at Real Madrid because... You know, it's been already three years since Real Madrid won their last uh, European title and uh, they still rely pretty much on the same seven or eight key players at that time and the, the newcomers, um, the likes of Hazard, even though I put an asterisk on top of his name because I do believe that injuries have uh, killed his confidence. But, for example, what, what can you tell me about a guy like Luka Jovic or Mariano? I mean, Mariano in France, I mean, I, I'm not saying that he's literally Real Madrid material but in France he scored over 20 goals for Olympique Lyon so he is not such a bad player and he's not getting uh, quality time in Real Madrid Luka Jovic did he get enough um, chances at Real Madrid I think that uh, there was a lot of pressure on him from the beginning for his price tag and also self-imposed pressure I think that the player never looked confident at Real Madrid anytime he played uh, it didn't help the fact that sometimes he took a bit loosely the Covid restrictions when he went to Serbia in the middle of the pandemic but of course there are questions to ask over there why is a player like Jovic a player like Mariano a player like uh, Martin Odegaard for example who were very good in uh, Europa League type teams and, uh, or Europa League level teams, and uh, suddenly they go to Real Madrid and they don't raise their level. I think that questions have to be asked over there because the recruitment at Real Madrid hasn't been very good. Mm, so far in the last three years, they tried to sign the, the next players of the future rather than uh, really good players like uh, Ronaldo or uh, Kaká in 2009, and that hasn't worked. So in terms of developing players, Real Madrid is making mistakes lately. 
We'll get a little bit more transfer talk very, very shortly. But next up, let's hear from Julian Laurent. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey, Jules. Hey, James. All right. Should you be working at the moment? Should you be, you know, coming out in solidarity with your colleagues at L'Equipe? Yes, that's a good point, actually. Uh, I've, I've reached out to some of them. Uh, they've been on strike now for more than a week because there's a social plan. Is that what you say in English? No, there's like a, a plan by the L'Equipe owners to reduce the, uh, the team, the pages in the newspaper uh, and, and yeah, cut a few jobs and, and uh, money and everything. So it's, it's quite hard time for them. So um, we send them all our support. Absolutely. So how long has that strike been going on for so far? For more than a week. I think they started on, I think this is the seventh day or eighth day today. Okay. Right. Yeah, well, best of luck uh, to them in, in what are difficult times in the world, particularly of uh, print journalism. In the meantime, it's been a better week for Paris Saint-Germain, who picked up a bit of silverware last week against Marseille in the Trophée des Champions, and this week went back on top of the table. Yes, you're right. On, on Wednesday, they won the, uh, the French Super Cup. We were talking about Bilbao and the Spanish Super Cup earlier. Uh, they beat Marseille, the arch rivals in, in Lens, uh, 2-1. In a game where André Villas-Boas uh, explained to us after the game that Marseille were the better side and they lost. Although he was the only one to think like that because even his own players disagreed with him. But um, it was a good performance from Marseille. It was just that PSG were, were better. Icardi was in great form and, and scored and uh, got a penalty as well that Neymar transformed. There was even more Neymar, Alvaro, Gonzalez, Agro. Do you remember uh, in the league, all the controversy? Uh, this time, there was no sending off, but there was a bit of trolling on social media after the game between Neymar and Alvaro, also on the pitch, which is good because they meet again on February the 7th uh, in the league, this time in Marseille, the Velodrome. So you can expect, I think, a, a very hostile reception, even without fans there. It's uh, one win in seven games now for Marseille. What, what's gone on with AVB's team? Yeah, I mean, I think for, for all the great work that he did there, I think recently uh, some of his um, uh, quotes or the things that he's been saying, not just, not just on Wednesday when he said, which was quite stupid, that his team deserved to win and they were the better team, which he knew they, they were not. But even before that, if you remember in the Champions League, uh, sometimes really publicly being harsh on his players. Uh, and I think just something, something is a bit broken there. They're also not very good going forward because too often Tovin is on his own. Uh, Dimitri Payet, as we've said all season, has struggled with his weight and with his form in general. Uh, as we mentioned in the, intro, the show, in the, in the show, I mean, I've got no problem with... Listen, he's never been a big runner. He's not someone who covers a lot of ground and and sprints a lot and, and work hard. And that's not what he does because even on Saturday, he still had two great passes that created two big chances that Marseille should have scored. But I've got an issue. If he doesn't want to be there, if he doesn't want to play, he can just say it and he will be on the bench. The problem is when he's benched because he's not good enough at training, he moans and sulks. And when he's on the pitch, he doesn't fancy it and doesn't run and doesn't do anything like on Saturday. So I can understand the frustration from the Marseille fans. The, the president was certainly very unhappy after the game and he, he had to go at the players uh, and they play again on, on Tuesday in the uh, one of the games in hand against Lens so that's going to be a huge game for them they, they really have to win that one because they, their form has been has been poor They're looking to bolster their chances up front at least with the signing of Arkegis Milik from uh, Napoli I'm not sure how close that one is uh, to going through and how much do you think that will help James? Well, I think as long as Milik's fit, and let's face it, he hasn't had any competitive football uh, now for a considerable amount of time, hasn't been part of, of Napoli's squad this season. Um, they expected him to either sign a new contract or to, to move on. Uh, and uh, that whole saga has dragged on really for a year now because it's, it's one of the reasons why they signed uh, Andrea Petania um, as, as his replacement because uh, they expected that he would have been off already uh, for a knockdown price uh, a year ago, I think he'll be very good. I think as long as, as Milik's knees are intact, um, yeah, he's one of the best strikers, uh, certainly as one of the, one of the best strikers in Serie A, and he's really kind of silky player as well. Can really link the play nicely. Um, I'm kind of surprised actually that yeah, I think Marseille have been really persistent in in pushing for for this signing to happen, 
Um, some of the other teams like Atletico, I think were put off by the asking price for someone who's only, what, four months now away from being available for free. Um, but uh, yeah, Marseille certainly have, have kept coming back for him um, to the point where I think with Milik, whereas he was maybe once thinking, actually, I'll hang around and wait until the summer and just not play any football at, at all. I think because Marseille keep knock, knock, knocking at his door, um, uh, he may well end up at the Velodrome. They're certainly offering him a lot of money in wages. I mean, uh, which, yeah. you know, I, I, they 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 had that problem before with Strutman, who they just loaned back to Italy to Genoa. But his wages were enormous, and that, there was a point where they said, "Well, we can't really afford for what he does. How much we pay him? It's just not viable." And I just hope for them that Milik won't be another Strutman, and that actually would have a much better impact. And, and certainly sort of repay a bit what they're clearly ready to invest on. In this weekend's results, Paris Saint-Germain won 1-0 away at Angers, although Mauricio Pochettino was not there to see it because he's isolating after testing positive for COVID-19. Goal scored by uh, Levan Kurzawa. The shame for Pochettino, Jimbo, is that, um, so, I mean, COVID obviously is... You know, it's unfortunate for anyone and, and he's, he's okay and stuff. But because PSG don't play in midweek this week, he would have had the, the whole week to be able to work a bit with the players, you know, and, I don't know, put things together, insist on certain aspects of what he wants them to do. And, and he, now he will have to stay home the whole week, which is a, a real shame. We saw one of his assistants on, on Saturday in the game having his headphones and being on the phone literally the whole game. With Pochettino, you can imagine watching on television and giving them instructions on what to do and everything. In the end, they won. It was not pretty. They played him pretty bad. And Angers probably deserved to win or at least to get a point. Uh, but they would just be happy with the with the win. And, and like we said, going back top of the table. OK. Lyon, who were on top, lost 1-0 uh, at home to Metz after a run of 16 games without defeat. Monaco moves up to fourth with a 3-2 win at Montpellier with another goal from Kevin Vollen. And as we mentioned, Marseille tumbled at home to Nîmes. Uh, Raymond Dominic's career as not manager saw him pick up a third draw in three games this weekend. That's right. But he said he saw a lot of good things, which I didn't see, to be fair, personally. Mm. But, you know, if he, if he did, that's the most important. And next week, we've got two huge derbies in Saint-Étienne-Lyon, which is very important for Lyon, as you said, because they lost this weekend. And also Monaco-Marseille. And the Monaco fans, all millions of them around the world, would love nothing more than obviously to uh, to um, pile more pressure and more misery on, on Marte's poor current run. OK, let's have some more transfer news. Here's Tom Baldwin asking if Deli Alli does make the move to Paris Saint-Germain, how's he going to fit into their side? Poch obviously loves him, says Tom, but Verratti's playing well in the 10 role now that they've changed their system. Jules? Yeah, I mean, Verratti didn't play in the number 10 role on, on Saturday. This time he went back to his more normal uh, sort of number eight role alongside Paredes in the 4-2-3-1. Neymar played number 10, didn't really play well there, to be fair. Uh, and Kylian Mbappe played on the left and Di Maria on the right. And Moise Ken up front. So there could be room for Dele Alli there in that sort of n central number 10 position behind the striker, whoever plays the striker. Um, I'm still being told that right now there's just not much going on there. So I don't know, maybe PSG are waiting a bit, maybe... Maybe Spurs don't want to sell, which again, that's why I would I was told before too, because of all the games they will have to be played in the second half of the season. So we'd have to see. I, I just think that Pochino would would really like Marco Verratti to play higher up on the pitch because he he thinks that there's something there, and then you can also be a bit more solid defensively because if you replace Verratti, for example, by by Ganagay, him and Paredes defensively are much stronger than Verratti and Paredes or Verratti and Gay. So. I think it might be interesting to follow and certainly if Pochettino thinks that Verratti has that position as a number 10, there's no room there for Dele Alli. I see. That all makes sense. Meanwhile, Alvaro, any update on West Ham's bid for Sevilla striker Yusuf El-Naziri? Well, uh, so far, uh, the only thing uh, we do know is uh, the Athletics information saying that they have done a, an offer for the player and Sevilla so far hasn't rejected it. Uh, the information was a little bit uh, shocking for uh, some journalists in Sevilla because they weren't expecting that. And uh, the truth is that I think that Sevilla... Um, would be happy to sell probably if the offer is increased a little bit more because in the city 
is the main number nine at Sevilla at the minute, uh, but that is down to the fact that uh, the young has been playing really badly. But uh, will in a city be that striker that Sevilla needs for the next years? That's still to be confirmed. So if the offer gets better, uh, probably Sevilla will consider it and accept it. A little bit like with Jules Koundé, when the Manchester City offered something in the region of 60 million and Sevilla wanted a bit more for that. Mm, fair enough then. A Dan stay indoors... Uh, wants to talk about the B word, says Dan. Perhaps it's difficult to tell, given the paucity of transfers due to the pandemic, but is Brexit starting to have a major impact on EU to UK transfers and vice versa? The other question which Dan doesn't ask, which is surely implicit, is are footballers happy when they're on British soil? Are they happier when they're British British football players? It doesn't really work with a fish <laughs> thing, I think, James. <laughs> Uh, to answer the second half of the question, it makes no difference to EU, EU clubs because they can still buy, well, let's put it this way. It depends what the national regulations are for non-EU foreigners. But in many of the big leagues, um, they, they are pretty relaxed. So the fact that you are now no longer an EU player and British doesn't really count against you in places like Germany, for example. But what about going the other way from European Union to the UK? That has become more complicated, of course. You need to now jump through the hoops and tick a lot of boxes um, to be um, either recognised international or your transfer fee has to be a certain um, value. So if you are buying just your sort of average, interesting but not yet fully-fledged 19, 20-year-old, it is it is a problem and it's much much more difficult. So it's difficult to you know to say the impact is there because we can't see it so much. I mean, transfers that don't happen don't tend to you know get reported. But I'm mm. sure if you look at some of the frustrations voiced by Sam Allardyce, ironically enough, it has become more difficult. Right. Okay. Uh, that picture will no doubt become clearer as the whole sorry mess. Sorry, uh, on, ongoing uh, Brexit fallout continues. Now. Uh, in other news from European football, very shortly we'll touch on the potential for another Barcelona disaster this Thursday against uh, upset specialist Cornea in the Copa del Rey. We'll also be hearing about last Friday's huge result down in Rome as Lazio beat Roma 3-0. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Primo pallone per il Franco Ivoriano, interessante, Luis Alberto al limite. Luis Alberto, la piazza, 3-0! E da pietà di Luis Alberto, gol strepitoso da parte del mago spagnolo. Drama there at the Stadio Olimpico last Friday. Lazio 3, Roma big fat 0. Crikey, this was total domination by the Bianco Celesti, eh, James Horncastle? I mean, aside from the first five minutes, so one-sided, it was, it was untrue. I think... Um, Simone Inzaghi won this game a couple of years ago, 3-0, and that was the biggest scoreline uh, winning margin that Lazio had had in the W, matched uh, their best ever win, and he's gone and done it again. Um, the last time around, it kind of precipitated the dismissal of uh, Eusebio Di Francesco. I don't think that's going to happen uh, with Paolo Fonseca. Uh, Roma had been in very good form um, just a week beforehand. They'd drawn 2-2 with Inter. Um, and I think one of the things that was disappointing about this performance wasn't only that they just gifted two goals um, to Lazio very early, a um, couple of mistakes from uh, Roger Ibanez, who's been brilliant since joining from Atalanta this time last year, um, but the fact that there was very little fight. Uh, they never really looked like getting back into the game at all. It was it was all Lazio. And um, I think it's one of the reasons why Simone Inzaghi uh, is held in such high esteem um, yeah, they're through to the round of 16 of the Champions League after qualifying uh, for that competition for the first time in 13 years. He's won the Italian Super Cup a couple of times. He's won the Coppa Italia, uh, really on, on a small budget and with a group of no-name guys. And um, 
yeah, Manuel Lazzari in this game was was fantastic. And I think as as we were saying about Conte and the Derby d'Italia kind of having a few days to study uh, study uh, Juventus, I think it, it helped Inzaghi and Lazio that they had kind of five days to prepare for this game. They were fresh. Uh, they didn't have any cup games in midweek, nor did Roma. And I think they put that time to, to better use. And um, yeah, real kind of uh, dent in, in Roma's confidence because I think one of the reasons why they've done so well and looked like being a title contender this year is because they've done a better job than the other top six sides at basically mopping up um, uh, anyone else, you know, games against teams below them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really in games like this where Fonseca, for the most part, has struggled in uh, in the last eighteen months to uh, to meet expectation. Uh, Roma. Well, th- th- this is very much the point that the Gazessa was making on Saturday that that for all the they did pick up a point against Inter, it, it has been against this, the big six, as it were, that the big clubs in in Italy that that his teams have consistently or his Roma side has consistently come up short, and one or two ominous noises of changes being made if this doesn't improve between now and the end of the season. They have made steps to increase the kind of Portuguese quotient of, of, of their kind of management structure, uh, Roma. So it'd be surprising to see him uh, leave. But then again, you know, you've got new ownership at the club, so I guess everything's on the table. Well, uh, from what I can gather, new ownership was very impressed with, uh, with Fonseca when they took over the club. Um, at the time, I think um, some other people, uh, existing management, um, saw an opportunity in the takeover to maybe recommend um, that they make a change of coach. Um, and instead, once the Freakins met Fonseca, they were like, no, actually, uh, we really like this guy. We think he's progressing the team in the right direction. Um, Tiago Pinto, the new general manager who comes in from Benfica, yeah, Fonseca was, was unaware. I don't think he was brought in uh, to the talks that, uh, yeah, behind the, new, the choice of new sporting director. But certainly, I think that has the potential to to reinforce his position. Um, so far, I think, you know, Roma remain on schedule. They they want to be back in the Champions League next year. Um, and if they get there, then I think it will be be pretty difficult for for the Freakins to to turn around and say, right, we're going to go in a in another direction now. So, but as you say, James, they need to get wins in these games against the top six because they have put in the occasional good performance. I mentioned the inter draw. They should have beaten Juventus um, earlier in the season when they had a man advantage for half an hour and somehow they conceded an equaliser uh, when Juventus were down to 10 men through Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, yeah, they, they dominated the first hour of that game and should have been uh, home and dry even before Rabiot got sent off. So, um, yeah, it's not as though they haven't performed in these big games. It's just that they haven't got results. But certainly the, the 3-0 defeat to Lazio was the worst performance from Roma this season. Indeed. All right, Andrew H wants to know, is Giampaolo's job at Torino under threat yet? <laughs> oh, it's about time, isn't it? I mean, he's got the sack. Um, yep. Davide Gone. Nicola has uh, has come in. Nicola, who is from uh, Piedmont, he's, he played for Torino as well, when he kept Crotone up in probably the greatest of great escapes a few years ago. He, he vowed that he would cycle uh, all the way from Crotone in Calabria um, to uh, to Piedmont, uh, which is essentially a tour of Italy, a Giro d'Italia. 1,300 uh, kilometres he rode on his bicycle. <laughs> and then he kept Genoa up last year that as was well. Even, so. For me, that was maybe even more. I don't know. They were bottom of the <laughs> table when he when he took over from Thiago Motta and he kept them up. Yeah. And, of course, being Genoa, they fired him as a result. Do you think that, that <laughs> Torino might hang on to him a bit longer? I think so, because in some ways there's a little bit of a surprise that Ciampaolo has lasted so long um, because you know, they haven't won at home at all this season. It's now six months um, since they, they last picked up a, a win, I was going to say, in front of their own fans. But of course, they haven't played in front of them since the, uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. It's really odd what's happened to this Torino team because um, at the beginning of last season, they were in the preliminaries for the Europa League. They got knocked out in the playoff by Wolves. Um, they were coming off a really good season under Mazzari. Um, they've got better players than their uh, their place in the table suggests. You know, Belotti keeps scoring lots and lots of goals in a bad in a bad team. Uh, Simone Zaza has never really <laughs> managed to 
be the same player after missing that penalty against Germany at Euro uh, 2016. Uh, they've got really good defenders at Torino. I mean, Sirigu um, has had a bit of a down year this time around, but still in the Italy setup. Then you've got uh, Bremer, Lianco, Itzo. Yeah, particularly those two Brazilians are well thought of and will probably get a move to one of the big Italian clubs in the summer. Singo's been a really good uh, find uh, as well at uh, wingback. Um, but uh, clearly, I think Giampaolo signed his own P45 on Saturday night when he couldn't beat uh, newly promoted Spezia despite having a man advantage for 87 minutes of that game. Uh, they drew nil-nil and then he came out and basically said, look, this team just can't play my style of football. So they went... Right then. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> Torino currently in the bottom three of the Italian First Division alongside Crotone and Parma, who picked up a point on De Zerbi's first game back at home to Sassuolo. All right, very good. Let's finish off today with a quick word on the cup action on the way in Spain. Barcelona trying to bounce back from their Super Cup disappointment and taking on the very same team, Cornea, who put Atletico Madrid out in the previous round. Alvaro, interesting bunch, uh, Cornea. They're from just down the road from Barcelona. Well, from uh, uh, from the Camp Nou. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think that against Atletico de Madrid, actually they deserve to go through. So obviously, if Barcelona is not going to take this game seriously or if they are going to, to play you know, at the 50% of their capacities, then they will suffer. And uh, to be honest with you, I think that the upsets are happening a lot in the Spanish Cup. So... No team should uh, sleep and uh, not play in every game uh, with a certain level of uh, concentration. Uh, in the previous round, uh, clubs like uh, Alaves, Cadiz, Elche, Eibar, uh, they have been ousted out by a minor category opposition. So I think that Barcelona, this time, they, they will have to take it seriously because last season almost they got uh, knocked out against Ibiza as well in, uh, in the Copa del Rey. So why not this season? And... I was thinking before that, you know, this is a little bit aside, but it's a big picture comment. I think that the last decade in Spain started with Barcelona and Real Madrid being magnificent. Uh, they won their first six domestic titles in the decade from 2011 to 2012. And this season, however, they look vulnerable to the point that uh, the club that has won the Super Cup is Athletic Club Bilbao. The club who is topping the Liga table is Atletico de Madrid. So it's a little bit of a new era, and uh, I think that you are very right by making us pay attention to, to games like barcelona Cornellà or even Real Madrid-Alcoyano, because yes, the big Spanish teams, they, they are favourites uh, for these games, but in the past, there were barely upsets in this uh, cup round, and now it looks like an upset is something more likely than definitely 10 years ago. Mm. Meantime, your club, Athletic, are off to Ibiza, which would be nice. Well, we'll bring you a round of, uh, round up of the uh, Cup news, such as it is next week in the uh, next Tuesday's Totally Football Show European edition. Before we wrap up for today, Alvaro, something else you want to add? Yeah, very quickly. Uh, number one, FIFA has confirmed the 10-game ban for Trippier for breaching FA's betting rules. And number two, the elections at Barcelona have been postponed probably until March. So if anyone was expecting Barcelona to sign players in January, that possibility has been pretty much crushed now because the interim president, I don't think that he's in the position to sign any player now. Can I just ask, Alvaro, if that has an impact on Wijnaldum as well? I mean, he was never going to go in January, but if he wants to go to Barcelona next season, now would have been the time to negotiate and, and accept, and that's going to be delayed as well now? It's going to be delayed, obviously, yes. Uh, I think that if Wijnaldum was never going to leave uh, at this uh, stage of the season, as you said, um, so I think that it wouldn't have such an impact on his potential signing because Barcelona will have a president hopefully by mid-March and you know I think that there, there will be still some margin to, to talk to the player if they are really interested in him but definitely this is affecting Eric Garcia's signing because that was an operation that was set to happen in January. And Rafa, anything you'd like to flag up? I think it's just worth mentioning, James, that there was an alleged uh, racist incident in the game between Union and, and Leverkusen. Uh, Nadim Amiri allegedly uh, being insulted because of his uh, background from Afghanistan. That's where his family hails from. We have to say that the player in question um, has apologised for insulting him, but has denied that there was any racism involved. 
and um, Amiri has accepted his apology, deleted a uh, statement on Instagram from his brother that was blaming uh, Florian Hübner, the Union player. And now this is all an investigation. But uh, for more info and details, uh, just tune in to the Stahlcast pod with me and Christoph Biermann. An excellent idea. All right. Very good. Many thanks then to everybody for all those wonderful stories and the less wonderful ones on the wide world of European football. We're back next Tuesday. Have yourselves a great week in the meantime, and we'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.